0: Welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. 13 million people in Indian controlled Jammu and Kashmir have spent the last three weeks under a regime of extraordinary repression and collective punishment at the hands of India's Hindu supremacist BJP government. Freedom of speech and assembly have been abolished, with gatherings of more than four people outlawed. Critics who have denounced the repression to the media have been imprisoned. Public transport has been shut down and the region's economy has ground to a halt. So what is this dispute about? Hasn't Kashmir always been contested? Isn't it always highly militarised? To answer these questions and to understand the siege on Kashmir, I'm joined on today's program by Kavita Krishnan. She's a leftist and feminist activist in India. She's a leading member of the Communist Party of India, Marxist-Leninist.
1: On the 5th of August, the government headed by Narendra Modi, uh, the central government, announced that they were doing away with the autonomous status of Jammu and Kashmir as a state. And they were also uh, abrogating uh, the state itself. They were sort of dissolving or annihilating the state itself and replacing it instead with two union territories, which are basically territories which are uh, controlled by the central government. So um, uh, this was in a nutshell what they did. And they also placed Kashmir under a lockdown that has continued till now, which has included a communications blockade as well as uh, very uh, intense paramilitary deployment uh, in the state. Um, so this is what has been done. Um, just very briefly to recap what that means, you know, Jammu, Kashmir, Jammu and Kashmir has an auto, had an autonomous status, which was represented by this uh, article of India's constitution called Article 370. So what they have done is to get rid of Article 370 and also uh, get rid of... Uh, Jammu and Kashmir status as one of the states of India.
0: In terms of um, the action by the Modi government to remove the autonomous status of Jammu and Kashmir, it, it was not. It wasn't just a peaceful declaration. I mean, my understanding is that they have moved in with. Um, with more military than what is normally in the area and that the repression I mean you talked about the lockdown and you talked about the communications blockage but we've also heard some reports of people being um, isolated in their homes or stuck in their homes unable to leave we've heard that um, food and other supplies are dwindling and people are actually at desperation point
1: Yes, uh, Kashmir on the uh, as a whole has been turned into one large prison, basically. And so, what we found when we visited Kashmir between 9th of August and 13th of August was that uh, people were not allowed to move outside their own streets. They could not visit a neighbouring street or a neighbouring village. They could not visit loved ones in hospitals. And uh, they uh, and uh, not only that, there was also you know young Kashmiri boys and men are being picked up from their homes and illegally detained in police stations and army camps where they are being they're facing custodial violence. Um, and in what we have to remember is that Kashmir had already, before 5th of August also, Kashmir was is one of the most militarized areas in the world. And uh, so what has happened since then is an intensification of that uh, militarization um, in Kashmir. And uh, so to really make it very simple, a decision about Kashmir status was taken without consulting Kashmiri people. And in fact, by locking Kashmiri people up, gagging their voices and subjecting them to intensified violence and uh, fear um, by the Indian government.
0: What is the reason that that decision was taken at this particular point in time?
1: I think that what we have to understand is that what we have in India today is a Hindu supremacist or Hindu majoritarian government, which, uh, for which the state of Kashmir, uh, the uh, state of Jammu and Kashmir, has a particular significance. They like to project Kashmir as being um, a Muslim territory uh, inhabited by Muslims who are disloyal to India and. Muslims, uh, they want to use it as an example of how Muslims are by nature loyal to Pakistan, disloyal to India. And so they are treating this as a political coup, which they are propagating in the rest of India as a conquering of a rebellious Muslim territory. None of this is, of course, accurate because Kashmir's um, relationship with India, Kashmir's accession to India has a very specific history. There is a reason for the Kashmir dispute and that uh, to put it very simply is that uh, kashmir you know in 1947 when india and pakistan became independent uh, and the partition uh, happened then most of the muslim majority majority territories on uh, the ba- borders and boundaries went to pakistan for instance even what was then called east pakistan uh, or and is now bangladesh was then part of pakistan now kashmir jammu and kashmir remained independent uh, uh, for a, several months, they had a choice of either going with Pakistan or going with India or remaining independent. And they, when they eventually chose to go with India, it was precisely because they feared Bangladesh's fate if they went with Pakistan. They felt that their Kashmiri identity, their unique Kashmiri identity, would be subsumed in an overall sort of Muslim, theocratic uh, state. And so they hoped that India, being a democratic, federal, secular state, actually give Kashmir the kind of autonomy that it wanted and in fact they acceded to India because India promised them that autonomy and article 370 represented a large part of that promise Um, now that promise has been uh, done away with the Indian state has abrogated that promise has thrown away that promise or in all these years in the last 73 years of course article 370 was all already hollowed out and weakened and in a sense, it was made a mockery of. But it was, at least it represented a symbolic promise of autonomy. And now even that symbolic promise of autonomy is gone. And what is left is brutal, naked, open military control.
0: Thank you for providing that history. That was very, very useful. I mean, you did mention that Kashmir is is one of the most highly militarized regions in the world. The way that you describe the history, though, that... Um, As an act of free choice, the Kashmiris chose to be an autonomous state in relationship to India, so as a part of India. But there has been ongoing conflict between Pakistan and India over Kashmir. What is the nature of that conflict uh, if your telling of the history is that it was a a free choice of the Kashmiris and, and all is well and good?
1: Uh, No, all is not well and good uh, because of that free choice. The thing is that that free choice happened in 1947, and that was the the part of uh, Kashmir uh, that chose India, was the the part that is now uh, India-administered Kashmir. The other part, which was uh, basically uh, attacked by uh, militias, tribal militias which were backed by Pakistan and captured by Pakistan, that part sort of remained with Pakistan and uh at the time uh when kashmir when when what we call jammu kashmir today when they chose india they had hoped for that part of what joined pakistan as well to be part of their state and um, the idea was that the decision taken by the then ruler of kashmir would be uh, ratified by uh the people of jammu and kashmir that they would get a chance to support or not support the decision taken by their ruler and at the time, the popular ruler of Jammu and Kashmir, the popular leader of Jammu and Kashmir, Sheikh Abdullah, he was very much in support of joining India in terms of uh, protecting Kashmir within India. In 1953-54, around that time, uh, when the relations between Kashmir and India were frayed, when Hindu nationalist politics was operating in Jammu and Kashmir as well, and these people of Kashmir felt a sense of fear, uh, they started... Uh, uh, reminding India that no, you had promised us a plebiscite. You had promised us the right to vote on our future. Um, when that, when they started calling in that promise, that was when um, Sheikh Abdullah was taken away. He was placed under house arrest for more than a decade, and uh, essentially since then, in in Kashmir, there were only client regimes. Uh, you could not have a, 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 a you know a free and fair elections in Jammu and Kashmir. And all of that uh, has happened, which has basically led to this conflict situation. Now, the, the thing to remember here is that Kashmir is, of course, disputed between India and Pakistan. But it is not only that. It is a situation where neither India nor Pakistan has really shown much respect for the aspirations of Kashmiri people. We have not really bothered to listen to what Kashmiri people want and uh, find a way to respect that. And uh, that is uh, I think what should uh, what sh- what we should remember foremost about the situation right now.
0: we We will definitely come to uh, that aspect of um, the situation in Kashmir because l- later on, I'm going to talk to you about whether there is an organized resistance in Kashmir and what that looks like. I want to get a sense so that our listeners can compare. Um, the current situation under the lockdown, the communication freeze and the uh, heightened repression, what was life like for people in Kashmir prior to the, well, the, specifically the 5th of August, but, um, but, but in the whatever period we can refer to as peaceful in Kashmir, what, what is the situation, what is the livelihood of people in that region?
1: Um, I think the thing to remember is that you know things have the Kashmiri normal has been a conflict, uh, conflicted and violent situation for several decades. All right, so uh, essentially since the uh, uh, 90s, since the late 80s and early 90s, there has been a lot of conflict in Kashmir, and so things have not been uh, very easy there. It is, a, it is a place where there is a lot of, um, you know, very fertile agriculture. There is a lot of plantation farming, you know, fruit farming. There's also um, a lot of, uh, in fact, it is one of the states where uh, minimum wages would be pretty high, where an ordinary a daily wage laborer would be able to earn around 600 to 800 rupees a day, which is about three or four times what they would be earning in other states in India. And in a way, you know, Kashmir has very high levels of education and all of that and development generally, um, you know, other indicators, you know, fertility and maternal mortality and all of that are pretty good in Kashmir. But the situation of conflict has meant um, the, uh, you know, the uh, absence of basic rights above all. So, for instance, the ability to hold a peaceful protest has not existed in Kashmir, uh, even before 5th August. It has not existed in Kashmir. Um, so, you know, the ability to hold an ordinary peaceful procession or hold a seminar or hold a, you know, have a student union, um, any of these things are basically not available inside Kashmir, have not been available inside Kashmir. Uh, ordinary a you know, peaceful protests have been met with uh, firing, with pellet guns and all of this, even before the 5th of August. After the 5th of August, what has changed is that uh, essentially the sense of complete sense of humiliation, where the Kashmiri people feel that they have, uh, you know, that this enormous decision about them, their status has been taken uh, without, uh, has been taken without uh, consulting them and uh, while keeping them captive and that they are uh, being, uh, their own media cannot operate at all. Their children are being subjected to, um, you know, illegal arrests and violence. And there's an enormous sense of fear about what the future holds, fear and anger both about what the future holds.
0: And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Kavita Krishnan, a leading member of the Communist Party of India, Marxist-Leninist. We're discussing the current siege on Kashmir by the Hindu chauvinist Indian state. Is there free movement across these borders? So for all of the repression and all of the conflict in Kashmir, is there still reasonably free movement across the borders to Pakistan and to India?
1: No, no, not at all. There has not been free movement uh, for for years at all, for years on end. There has been some movement and some governments have promised to improve the movement. So there was this uh, train created called the Samjhauta Express between India and Pakistan. And since there are people uh, who have families on both sides of the border, uh, such moves would be welcomed. And there is also some trade between Uh, both both states and all of that. But the thing is, because of the conflict, all this has been subject to a lot of, uh, you know, uh, fear and violence. And it has always been subject to, every time there would be tensions on the border, then, of course, uh, you know, this kind of uh, movement and all of that would be affected. And it's an extremely militarized border as well, uh, full of conflict and tension. So, uh, India-Pakistan border, there's always been tension. But also I'm talking about, you know, the fact that now since this August, even free movement within Kashmir is now uh, completely disrupted. So you cannot have, you cannot move easily within Kashmir without passing army and paramilitary checkposts, checkpoints where, uh, you know, you would have to explain your business and all of that. So for the ordinary Kashmiri, this is a, um, you know, the scene basically, you know, the sense is what the sense that Someone in Palestine or someone in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Baghdad in uh, war-torn Baghdad might feel.
0: The reason that this area is so militarized only makes sense if Kashmir has something that governments want. What is it about Kashmir that is so wanted by Pakistan and India?
1: Yeah, know, economic interest. Yes. I mean, the thing is that, uh, of course, uh, Kashmir is, uh, you know, it's a a reasonably prosperous region that has a lot of tourism uh, as well as, you know, a a thriving kind of tourist business as well as, as I said, uh, excellent agriculture and other development indicators and all of that. But I don't think and now, of course, there's also some talk that we are hearing about uh, possible oil discoveries there and all of that. But I don't think that that is the only reason why uh, there is this uh, interest in Kashmir, in holding Kashmir. I think that the interest is also um, symbolic and cultural to a large extent also, uh, where, um, you know, for India, uh, it's almost like this prize that was won in 1947, and we shouldn't let go of it. Likewise, Pakistan also looks at uh, Kashmir similarly, and they have these You know, Kashmir, uh, India will call Kashmir the integral part of India. uh, Pakistan will call Kashmir its jugular vein, and all of that. And for Hindu nationalist uh, politics in India, the Hindu supremacist, Hindu majoritarian politics in India, uh, there is an added uh, degree of significance, where, as I said, Jammu and Kashmir is India's uh, was India's only only Hindu Muslim majority state. And so uh, they had an interest in demonizing Kashmir and the uh, Kashmiris' aspirations there as being peculiarly um, anti-India and anti-India because they are Muslim. And so there was, uh, you know, an attempt to, there continues to be an attempt to use what is being done to Kashmir to foster a a support for Hindu majoritarian politics in India more generally.
0: It is the kind of environment and circumstances that really does breed a resistance movement and breeds opposition and breeds, um, well, a, a, a resistance. what does that actually look like? Are there organised protest movements? I know you've said people can't protest freely, but are there organised communists? Are there organised socialists or workers' movements trying to push back against this level of repression?
1: No, there are not. I mean, there were once these... I mean, Jammu Kashmir once had a thriving left movement and um, Mm -hmm. other kinds of people's movements. But over time, uh, essentially, the space for that has shrunk very badly. And what Kashmiri protests looked like was mainly organized by what was called the Hurriyat Conference, which was a platform of organizations with uh, various uh, positions. I mean, they were not all on the same page about what Kashmir's uh, autonomy or freedom might look like. But they were called uh, separatist groups by the Indian government. Now, what has happened is that that entire leadership is now in jail. Uh, The other political leadership, which was considered to be, uh, which was uh, in favor of participating in the Indian democratic process and elections and all of that, they're also all in jail. So right now, there is no leadership. There is absolutely no leadership. And what we felt when we visited there was that people kept saying, uh, we're going to protest at some point or the other, but they knew that even their most peaceful protests might be met with the most terrible, brutal repression and violence, and so I think uh, there was almost a sense of you know doom while they kept saying, "Yes, the more you repress us, the more we will rise," and all of that, and they would keep telling you that we will fight till even there's a, even, till the last Kashmiri child is around, we will keep fighting, and all of that. But I think that um, in a sense, there's really a sense of. Uh, somewhere helplessness and, uh, and grief as well, grief and loss as well, because uh, it is uh, really, I would say that there's, it's difficult to get a sense of any, uh, of where, uh, if at all, any organized resistance uh, will come from and how that will manage to survive right now.
0: We talked about the Modi government of India. We described it as Hindu chauvinist um, or Hindu supremacist. uh, And we have more or less described that government as fascist. Is there resistance in India um, to that government? And then what is the relationship between the general protest movement against the government of India and solidarity with the situation in Kashmir?
1: Yes, um, there have been of course movements on the ground against the Modi government in India um, and uh, especially by left groups as well as other people's movement groups which are fighting for uh, to protect India's environment and uh, uh, India's forests and so on, land and forests and rivers and all of that. So those movements uh, have been resisting Modi and they have also shown solidarity with Kashmir. Uh, so even after 5th August, they were the ones who were on the streets uh, and quite widely all over India are basically protesting uh, this move. And they have been uh, on the streets since then as well. But I want to say that, you know, uh, solidarity with Kashmir right now is actually uh, the Indian government is making it very difficult to show solidarity. So those of us who have visited Kashmir and all are being threatened with imprisonment, or with, um, you know, attacks by right-wing groups. Um, and, uh, you know, university campuses, students are not being allowed to organize, for, uh, uh, you know, any kind of solidarity actions, even a discussion, even a discussion about Kashmir's history or Article 370 and what it means and all of that, um, such discussions are not getting you know permission. So students who try to organize this, these discussions could face uh, court cases, they could face arrests, they could face... Uh, you know, they might be removed from, they might not be allowed to study in their uh, universities and all of that. So, in a sense, there's an attempt to choke choke out uh, any kind of protests, of course, but in particular, any discussions on Kashmir or any solidarity actions with Kashmir.
0: Well, in that case, how do you think this is going to end? What do you think is going to happen?
1: Uh, I think that, uh, for one thing, I think that in India, I think what needs to be realised and is not yet sufficiently realised or recognised is that what uh, what Modi is, what the Modi government has done to Kashmir is also a warning sign for what it wants to do with um, with India, because uh, essentially this is a move in the in the direction of turning India into a fascist Hindu nation, and so the manner in which they have uh, you know, done away with constitutional provisions vis-a-vis Kashmir. They will also do away with constitutional provisions vis-a-vis India's oppressed communities, oppressed castes, and uh, you know, women's rights and all of that. So, um, uh, workers' rights, women's rights, and they're already beginning to do a lot of that. So, I think uh, the, the future is uh, quite fraught with uh, dangers, uh, and the only hope is that that uh, in and that uh, the hope lies in uh indian people also recognizing um the, the 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 politics of all this and recognizing that if they are being asked to cheer violence against kashmiri people um if they are being asked to cheer kashmir being set on fire it's also because their own home is being set on fire as well and uh, you know the modi government doesn't want them to see that and doesn't want them to recognize it till it's too late and um That's what, you know, those of us who are working in India are trying to do. We are trying to build up a sense of awareness and uh, protest and resistance against all this. But it is not easy, especially given that much of India's media is controlled by big corporations which are completely, which have the Modi government in their pockets. And so these media channels, especially television channels and a lot of print as well, are basically propaganda, not only for the government, but they are propaganda for Hindu supremacist politics, for Islamophobia, and there the kind of um, mass reach that these uh, media have is uh, far greater than what any other, you know, um, protest organization could have, or you know, protest network could have, or opposition party could have. And so they are building uh, the public opinion on many of these things. So it's quite a dark outlook, frankly, in India as well as in Kashmir. And um, since this is an international audience that uh, you know I'm addressing via the Zai, you know the the hope is that uh, you know people across the world also will recognise that like Bolsonaro, like Trump. Uh, like uh, Duterte, uh, you also have, uh, like Putin, Modi basically ranks among those authoritarian leaders. And so uh, developments in India and Kashmir need to be seen in that light and responded to in that light.
0: That was Kavita Krishnan, leading member of the Communist Party of India, Marxist-Leninist. We were discussing the current siege on Kashmir by the Hindu chauvinist Indian state. And that's all we've got time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hannah and I look forward to your company again next week.